Well, I want you to turn to somebody on your right or your left. Either way, just make sure you make lovingly eye contact with someone. I want you to look at them and say this. Say, you, come on, everybody do it. You are better at fasting than Pastor Joel. Okay, now that we have that clearly understood, we can pop the pressure balloon. No condemnation, because I promise you, you're better than me. At the close of, uh, of, of the summer, uh, August, July time of 2023, uh, just in kind of a time of reflection and prayer with the Lord, I heard him say a phrase to my heart. I knew it was him the moment he said it because of what he said. He said this. He said, Joel, less phone, less food. Can you hear the groans online? Could that, did that come through the microphone? Less phone, less food. And I sensed in this moment that he was trying, attempting to draw my heart into a, 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 a element of being more present with his work. And if I'm honest, because I'm in church and Jesus is listening, I've not done that well. And not just like not done it well recently, like not done it well this past week or today. Had breakfast today, wasn't planning on it. But I, I, I sensed, and despite my failure at fasting, despite my real struggle, I sense Holy Spirit drawing. He's, he's, he's trying to bring me and my senses, us as a church, into a deeper place of being aware and present to his work in our homes, in our lives, and in our hearts. And fasting, I sense, is he's trying to reframe this simple act of saying no to food and yes to him in a way that actually breeds life to our hearts rather than just another tool that we have failed at doing. We've been in a five-week series called Amen. It's where we are, as a church, traditionally through this month of January, recircling our hearts on prayer. We are, we are uh, framed it around this phrase, Amen, and what it means to the context of prayer. And, and, and I believe that when we look at Scripture, it bears this to be true, that prayer and fasting go hand in hand with each other. But let's be clear, prayer, just like fasting, they are the relationship present with God. It's, it's, it's not that prayer produces stuff. We don't pray to get things. We don't pray to, to, to have something answered. We pray, we pray primarily for Him. You see, the relationship with God is in the prayer. It's in the communication. Prayer isn't a means to an end. Prayer is the end because He's in the prayer. And fasting in a similar fashion is this. It's a positioning for our hearts to be more in alignment and more in tune with him not to get stuff. And when we make it to get stuff, we lose the fuel required to do the fasting well. My wife is a podcast fiend. I think if you measured the amount of texts I get on my phone that say, I love you and listen to this podcast, they'd be about the same. 
And she sent me this podcast on fasting. And, and, and so I'm listening to this, trying to be a good husband. And, and one of the things the guy says on it, so deeply profound, he made this statement. He said, and when I'm fasting or when I fast, I sense the Lord's full attention on my heart. And initially it struck me like, yeah, that's right. Okay, Jesus, here we go. I'm going to fast and your full attention will be on me now. And, and the Lord just stopped me and said, Joel, that's your problem. You think by fasting, you're going to get my attention. Here's the gig, son. My attention is already on you. When you fast, you simply sense it more. And I heard him make the phrase to me. He said, son, open up the windows. Sense the invitation of fasting to me. You see, here's the problem is, 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 what, is what I've done in my life and why I've, I think I've been so bad at this is, is I pretend somehow that like, that like when I fast, that's when he catches me specially. When the reality is, is his gaze. Those eyes of fire, Revelation chapter one, have already been on me and I can see him and I can know him and I can sense him and I can see all the things, but there's still a pane of glass. His voice is just a little bit not quite heard as well. I can't reach out and touch him and what happens is, is when I open up the window of fasting, all of a sudden now I can see more clearly. All of a sudden now I can touch him in a deeper way of what's all already happening see fasting is an invitation it's a beckoning to say come experience me not get a result come encounter me in a deeper way come touch me in a deeper way and all you got to do is open up the window turn to somebody and say open up the window if you're taking notes today the sermon of our, our, the title of the sermon is A Fasted Amen, Open Up the Windows. Now, there are a multitude of texts we could preach on and touch about fasting. Most of them have been my problem because they deal with what happens when we fast. Matthew 17, Jesus is clear. There's an effectiveness in prayer as a result of fasting. Acts 13, Ezra 8, Esther chapter 3. There's a hearing and direction that happens, a discernment when we fast. Jonah chapter 3, Joel chapter 2. There's a repentance and mourning and an alleviation of even judgment on our hearts and lives when we fast. Book of Daniel and Acts 10 convey angelic activity that gets released when we fast. And the problem, the, the, the issue is I have lived my entire life around the element of I'm fasting to get that stuff. And yet there's really, as I looked, as I meditated, there's only one real particular text that doesn't talk about the what happens to fasting, but talks about the why of fasting. And what I'm finding is, is I don't need more of the what happens, I need the more of the why. So if you have your fasting approved Bibles, it's the kind with leather and paper, turn to Matthew chapter 9, if not to be up on the screen or your electronic versions. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus begins a very, very short dialogue about the why of fasting in order to provide fuel for our hearts to say no to natural food and yes to spiritual food. Okay, let's read these verses real quick. 
Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. And the disciples of John, that's John the Baptist, come to him. Now he's at a meal, he's at, he's at a moment, probably in somebody's house, and here the disciples of John the Baptist and probably Pharisees roll up on Jesus in an antagonistic manner coming at him. And they say to him, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but you and your disciples do not? Now this would be like Yoda and Darth Vader joining forces. This would be like the dark side and the light side. This would be like a Husky fan and a Wolverine fan who just got beat up real bad. No, nothing? Okay. Joining together. And they weaponize fasting to attack Jesus. They say, why don't you all fast? Jesus, verse 15, says, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom, speaking of himself, is taken away from them, speaking of his ascension. And then they will fast. At the time that Jesus is no longer physically with them, in that moment and in that place, when they feel the relational gap of him to them, that's when they will fast. Verse 16, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from that garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is a new wine put into old wineskins. The wine is intimacy. The wineskins is fasting. If it is, the wineskins burst and the wine is spilled. You lose both fasting and intimacy and the skins are destroyed. But the new wine, fresh cup, fresh intimacy is put into fresh wineskins, a fresh understanding of fasting. And so both are preserved. The first thing that we see in our text is that fasting, Jesus positions fasting as a window of relationship. Jesus enters into a moment where fasting had, had, had become leveraged to unveil my deep spirituality to God so others would know it. It served as a function that I could, in my self-righteousness, feel good about myself, and it served in a manner that I could evaluate whether or not you love God too. Remember the Lord's dialogue with the rich young ruler? Oh, I have followed all of the commandments all of my days. Yeah, okay. And I fast two days a week, Jesus. John the Baptist here and his disciples coming at Jesus, wondering in some form and fashion, is he really the Messiah? Focus it on this element. You don't fast like you should, Jesus, son of God. And see, fasting had moved from a, a, a function that brings us into a place of encounter and relationship to now a marker and metric by which I can determine whether or not I am God's favored one. And it's in this cycle of misunderstanding that fasting is weaponized and Jesus comes to reframe fasting in the manner that he intended it to be. You see, he says here immediately upon pulling on bridegroom and pulling on wedding guest realities, he frames fasting now into a relationship because his chief concern is for his disciples, really, that they would engage fasting rightly. Because this is the problem. We can most rightly tell how we view God by how we engage the disciplines. Fasting, word, solitude, uh, prayer, these kinds of elements, how we think about them, how we engage them, it shows us what we think about God. 
If I've got to do the fasting thing and the window thing in order to get him to look at me more, what does that say about what I think about him and how he feels about me? If I feel that when I come to my word more often, all of a sudden he likes me better, what does that say about what he feels about me or what I think he feels about me? And then what happens, if I'm, if I'm being honest, I, I don't do this well. I eat the pancakes in the morning that I didn't want to eat, but I ate them anyway, shoved them on my throat before I was thinking. And all of a sudden now I shrink back from the God that requires me to fast really well. And now there's a deeper relational distance. See, how I think about fasting isn't really the problem. It's how I think about fasting reflects how I think about God. You see, functionality and fasting is our problem. Functionality meaning what am I going to get from this? Never has enough fuel to get you to the finish line. It always leaves you breaking the fast and the thing in a manner you didn't intend or not even starting it to begin with. And then when I do break it, then when I do jack it up, I'm left in a cycle where I don't engage him nor it. This is the new wineskin, verse 17, that Jesus is trying to present. He's trying to present a reality where, where fasting emerges from and for relationship, the wine, the intimacy. What does he say at the table? He says, this cup, the wine, this is a new cup of covenant, a new cup of relationship, and everything I do comes out of this. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden and have a, have a heavy yoke of performance, of fasting and giving and serving and all the things. He doesn't say, come to me to do more stuff. He just says, come to me. And out of relationship, out of the open window of encounter, I'm giving you rest from having to engage the disciplines like fasting to prove something to me. This is the new wineskin. And our problem is when we make fasting and we close the window about function, we don't just break the window and break fasting. We ultimately break the call for intimacy because we think that's what he demands. No, no, no. This is just what he offers. Some, some years ago, I was sitting in a prayer room, praying over just stuff, and uh, have kind of this open vision kind of gig with Jesus. I'm sharing this with leaders just, just this week. And I want you to imagine like a, like a desert plain and way off in the distance, like this tall, it's like little, little, bitty, tiny Jesus. And I'm standing there, and he just calls my name. You know where Scripture says in Revelation that he has a voice, like a thousand voices over a thousand waters? That's what it was. And at the very whisper of my name, every fiber in my being wanted to explode. And he's like a million miles away. I remember feeling the weight of his voice so much that I didn't even want to breathe because I felt like if my chest just moved a fraction closer, it would just blow up. And I looked down on my hand and I had this clear glass cup. And it was half full of water. 
And I understood the water to be my time with the Lord. My, my, my fasting or lack thereof uh, with the Lord and, and my prayer with the Lord and my word with the Lord. I saw this cup and, and, and what I noticed wasn't that it was half full. I noticed that it was half empty. And, and, and I heard him beckoning me in this little whisper and like somehow like I'm brilliant. I'm like, I'm hiding the cup behind my back. Like he can't see it. Because I was so afraid that if I came close to him, he wouldn't talk to me about what was in it. He would talk to me about what, what wasn't in it. That he was so concerned about the places of failure rather than the places of relationship that was there. And I heard him say, son, Joel, I'm not going to talk to you about what you haven't done. I want to inspire you to fill it more by what, what you have. And I wonder how often are we closing the window of fasting because we think all he wants out of us is what we haven't done. And if I come close to him, he's going to talk to me about how many years my window's been closed. Rather than say, no, 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 new life. Joel, I want to talk to you about a relationship. Not function, not duty, not what you haven't done. Open up the window because my disciplines, my word, my prayer, fasting is simply about you and I together. And I'm going to take whatever you've given me and from what you've given me, we're going to increase it a little bit more. This is what fasting is. It's about a window of relationship. But it's not just about relationship. It's a window of relational unity with him. You see, fasting doesn't just open up the window now of encounter, but as that window of encounter is up, my heart aligns with him in greater measures. Fasting positions my heart to encounter him, and then when I encounter him out of love, I wholeheartedly say yes with him. When Jesus here in verse 15 discusses the wedding guests, he's pulling on a Hebrew understanding of, 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 of a marriage. Now, when a man and a wife in Jesus' culture got married, they did not go on a honeymoon to Barbados or to some Mexican resort place or to Spain or to some other glorious spot. You know what they did? They stayed in the house for a week. And the aunties, the uncles... The brothers, the sisters, the best friends, they all just camped out in the same house for the same week. And when they did, they ate the same food together. They heard the same stories together. They, they sat at the same table. They shared the same encounters one with another. See, the bridegroom and his guests were one in every capacity. And he says, when I'm away, when there's now a distance, that oneness, that unity, that shared experience of one to another has been broken. And what happens is, is when we open the window of fasting, our hearts now 
are realigned to what's happening with him. So all of a sudden, afresh, I'm eating the same table again. I'm eating the same food again. We're having the same conversation again. We're encountering the same places again. And when I fast, I submit the heart, the will, the soul, the spirit afresh to say yes to him, not because he's manipulating me through some kind of sermon or podcast, but because I've encountered him and out of love and relationship that fasting brings, I will willingly say, yes, you can have this. You see, the amen, the I agree, let it be so, I confirm it, happens in fasting because when we encounter the amen, we now say yes to that which he says. How are we going to go, like Jesus did, from not my will, I don't want this cup, I don't like this idea, to okay, your will be done. It's not going to just be furrow your brow and say yes to it. It's going to be, all right, open this up. Let me feel your gaze. Let me feel your touch. Let me encounter you. And in relationship, because I've tasted that the food at your table is better than my table, I'll say yes to that. If my people love me, they will follow my commandments. You see, fasting bridges the relational gap that's present with us in the Lord. And upon doing so, we grow in relationship with him We grow in encounter with him out of just his invitation to meet him. And then discipleship becomes automatic. Because it's his love, it's his kindness, it's his goodness, it's his character and nature that pulls out of me the repentance required in alignment with him. Not out of function. Fasting pulls me. It's not, let me reframe that. It's not as if when I fast, I encounter him and then he grabs my hand and pulls me through a window. It's I find out how good he is. Taste and see the Lord is good. I'm tasting him through fasting and then I will willingly jump through the window to be one with him. This is how fasting comes. Sometimes there are some things we pray on, our cycles of behavior and stuff that we are needing to see God move in our hearts. And he's saying, yeah, yeah, the problem is you keep praying this out, wanting it. What I want you to do is fast with this and then with me, and then you will jump through the thing that you keep asking me to do for your life. You see, I don't exactly know how it works. It's, it's woven into it, but somehow in the mystery of fasting, it actually changes my appetite for him. Because see, that's the third thing relational does, not just unity, but relational longing. Somehow what, what fasting does is it shows me really who I am, and then upon doing it, changes the stuff that I want. It moves me from simply longing to see the promises fulfilled to longing to see the one who gave the promises. In our text, in verse 15, Jesus uses this phrase, mourning. It's a Greek word. It means to weep or to grieve. 
And it's an implied loss of relationship. And he's saying, this is why they're going to fast, not to prove themselves to me, not to earn something from me, not to measure themselves against you. They're going to say no to food because they long for me. And upon that, when they do it, it's like an open portal or an open window that that relationship now is going to be bridged supernaturally by the Spirit and they will sense me with them. Sometimes we fast because we want him. But family, let's be honest. I like that Gouda stuffed bacon wrapped burger sometimes more than Jesus. And what happens... I like that relationship sometimes more than saying yes to God. I like that title sometimes, saying that title more than the Lord. I pursue other kinds of things. My appetite isn't always correct, and I want those rather than the Lord. And what happens is, is when I fast, it shows me my real appetite. Richard Foster, the seminal thinker on disciplines, makes this statement. He says, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. It's amazing how touch my stomach and then you find out what's really inside. You are not hangry just because you missed your little snack at lunchtime. You're hangry because there's something really going on inside of you. And when I say no to food, all of a sudden, I see me. And upon seeing me, by the very nature of fasting, he says, you've had the appetite for this. Say no to food one more day, Joel. And what will happen is I will reorder that appetite to no long for me. He does the work. Fasting does the work. I just got to be willing to open up the window. And out of this relationship, he pulls me through into holiness. If I'm honest, the bread of this life, the bread of things, sometimes has a greater draw of my appetite than him. And when hunger, pain touches my soul, and I give that to the place of prayer to the Lord. It now is an entryway to recenter feasting on him. When you came walking in today, you received a card. It looks just like this. Perforated edge. Online, I'm sure we'll get it to you too. Pull this out for me for a moment. We're going to forcibly make all of you do what I should have done six months ago. <laughs> Here's what we're going to do. As a church, I, I sense the Lord moving us into a corporate, a very particular corporate fast. I know for all months, some of you already begun doing it. That's great. Cool, cool, cool. Do that. Many, many, probably many of us haven't yet. And so as you saw on the video announcements, February 3rd is our prayer summit. I'm asking, would we as a church, all of our campuses and those of you watching online, would we be willing to fast for the span of February, uh, January 28th through February 3rd. One week, seven days. And upon that fast, we will regather together on our prayer summit, the whole group of us, 
presenting to the Lord with seven days' worth of fasting and open the window to see him life-alter our souls and our churches. So here's how this works. We have two, two uh, windows. See how clever we are? One sash says meals, one sash says many hours. So let's just pretend that you're a light eater and you only eat three meals in a day. I do more like seven. That's 21 meals. Here's my question for us. For that week, for that week, January 28th to February 3rd, how many meals would you be willing to open up the window for? Would you say, I'm going to give up three hamburgers that week? Three meals. I'm going to put three meals. If you've never done it before, great start. Maybe you'd say, I'm, I'm going to give up breakfast every morning, seven meals. Maybe some of you would be willing to say, I'm not going to eat till dinner time, so I will give up 14 meals, breakfast and lunch. I don't know. It's you. This, the point of this is not compulsion. It's a very particular manner that Holy Spirit is saying, give me this and, and, and watch what I do in your life. But then secondly, I think in this moment, in this day, meals are important, but media hours are, are, are potentially just as damaging to our relationship with the Lord. How many media hours will you give up? Maybe, I know Netflix just dropped your favorite series. But maybe rather than binge 37 hours, you'll be willing to say, I, I'll give up seven hours of TV this week in place of prayer. Maybe you will give up that hour and a half of scrolling on Instagram this week every day. How many media hours will you put aside? How many meals will you put aside? And what we're going to do, there's two of these cards. You keep one, we get one. Now, if you notice, there's no spot for your name. We're not trying to figure out who's doing what. What we'd like to do is be able to see across all of our campuses on that day, February 3rd, how many corporately hundreds of meals have we given up and how many thousands of hours have we given up. So that on that day in February 3rd, the window of our souls will be open and we will sense what the Lord's already wanting to do in us afresh. So today and then weeks to come, leading up to this, Pastor Melvin will show here the campus how he's going to receive these cards. But you keep one, put it in some place to remind yourself, maybe your kitchen or your drawer or your car, wherever it is that you hide those cookies. And let's come and open up this window together. As we finish today. If I can ever worship you, wherever they are. Communion service, you can get ready. Jesus' moment of temptation in Matthew 4, the devil comes after he's fasted for 40 days and nights. He says this, he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This word live that Jesus uses here means to remain alive but to enjoy real life. I believe that's what the table ultimately shows us. The table ultimately says the things that you have been feasting on don't really satisfy. They don't really quench the hunger in your soul. And so when we come, rightly so, to the table of the Lord, we are reordering our appetite. Where we say, Lord, help me reposition what I long for. And help me not 
just live, be sustained by your word. Lord, help me be fully satisfied in what you have for me. May this window of food being opened here, reaching through and grabbing hold of your table and bread, may I be like you and say, on you solely will my soul be satisfied. Not the job, not the status, not the bank account, not the thing, but you. And as we partake of his word, as we partake of his bread and his wine, our appetites change. And like the psalmist, all of a sudden we start saying, my soul pants, longs for you and you alone. Family, pray with me. Father, we simply here and now present our hearts to you. We are afresh willing to open up the window that you would change our souls without condemnation, without guilt, without performance. We just hear you say, come on in. So might there be a grace in this upcoming week leading to the summit that we would afresh say yes to you. And in every place that our souls have longed for something else, in every place that we've had out of order appetites, by your grace through this, I pray, cause us to long for you. And today we come to your table saying as we partake, change the fabric of our desires as we diet on you. In your name we pray. Amen.